So it, it, it's really funny now to compare like my Zoom talks from the first year of the pandemic to the Zooms I'm on today. Cause it, man, it, it was rough. <laughs> Dark rooms, fuzzy features, strange noises. Like I, I was truly on some Blair Witch type shit. Like I was using book talks and, and virtual panels as a Trojan horse to haunt niggas' dreams. But the, the, the upgrade in production value now is understandable because it's happened with everyone. I mean, those first few months were the wild, wild west of virtual pandemic work. But we, I don't know, we now know which rooms in our home have the best lighting and sound quality. We've curated our backgrounds to fit whichever aesthetic we want to convey. And, and some of us have even comped high quality recording equipment. Yeah, but like my personal upgrade journey is a, I don't know, it's a bit more complicated. I mean, sure, I, I invested in a better camera. And my background is full of curated art and, and pictures instead of pizza boxes and dirty laundry. But my shitty videos from back then were, they were less about my equipment and more about my teeth. I'm less self-conscious about them than I used to be. But I, I don't know, I still feel some anxiety when they're prominently displayed, as they are when doing Zoom talks. The shitty lighting and, and bad camera angles that was me just trying to hide them. I mean, so I'd either place the laptop like mad far away so that you couldn't really see them. Or I'd have the light shining so brightly that all you saw when I opened my mouth was this bright ass, indistinguishable white. <laughs> I mean, my wife said it looked like I was broadcasting from the Batcave. So why is my video content better today? I mean, the, the equipment upgrades matter sure but I also got a bag and fixed my teeth so they upgraded too this episode is brought to you by Rockstar Energy Drink be honest are you procrastinating by listening to this podcast it's okay you just need Rockstar Focus Choose from three delicious flavors, each crafted with ingredients for an ideal energy and mental boost, like lion's mane, 200 milligrams of caffeine, and zero sugar. Visit rockstarenergy.com to learn more. At least 75 milligrams of caffeine has been shown to help improve attention. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This is Stuck with Damon Young. The show where we keep our Zoom cameras off. <laughs> and today, we're, we're going to talk about how we feel about our bodies. The, the pride, the self-worth, and even the shame. And how those feelings affect our behavior. My first check from summer youth employment when I was employed at 14, went to buying pinstripe Lee's, suede Adidas, black on white, a name belt that said Bobby. I had a, a, a 24 karat gold rope chain 
that I should not have bought because it got snatched. <laughs> like second day of school, gone. So that's Robert Jones Jr., author of the award-winning novel, The Prophets, and the creator of the Son of Baldwin blog. And I, I wanted to talk to him about why we, and, and by we, I mean Black men, are, are so reluctant to talk about our fears and, and our shames with our own bodies. Where it begins is with um, respectability politics that come out of the newly freed enslaved people who feel as though in order to be seen as a full human being by these white people who used to own them, they have to dress as nicely as they possibly can so that they can be seen as um, part of the human family. In addition, particularly for Black men, there was this idea that we had to always appear neat and clean so as to dissuade any fear of the Black maleness because, you know, the, the, the country had told the entire world that Black men were brutes and that white women had to be protected from us because we were um, inherently rapist, that we were violent and cruel um, and crude. One of the ways um, in which our ancestors combated that stereotype, that idea, was to be impeccable in our style of dress. The same thing for Black women. They were seen as um, um, loose and so forth. And so they had to dress in a particular way as, so as to be impeccable. And I think that is where it begins um, in terms of the anxiety that's associated with how we look in terms of our fashion and our presentation. And then there's even, um, there's even the reality, you know, like, okay, so I also you know, had all the J's <laughs> from the time that J's were a thing. I have never right? owned a pair of J's. Ever. Never owned. Okay. I, I, I had all, all the J's. I, I would, I would rock them. I would hoop in them. You know, Jordan, Jordan was my man. I had, I had the full Jordan outfits, like the Jordan shirts, the Jordan socks, the Jordan sneakers, the Jordan shorts, all of that, the Jordan hats. Yeah. I was, I just couldn't yeah, afford I, it. I was OD. I couldn't afford it. it. Well, my parents couldn't either, <laughs> right? My parents couldn't afford it either, but they they still would do it for me. And teachers, administrators, adults are going to treat you better. Human beings respond to aesthetics. Yeah, if you're dressed more presentably, if you're wearing nicer clothes than the kids who, you know, might might not might have cheap things on, might have holes, might be dirty. And I've seen I've seen it even as a teacher, right? How how, you know, subconsciously people respond differently to the kids who don't look as presentable. And what, what do we do about that? Like, is it something intrinsic to being a human being that we respond to what things look like before we even assess their value or we assess their value by what they look like? I, I think that there are things that might be inherent to humanity, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're the right things. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that people who are cognizant of this feeling are actively, some of us are actively doing that work because we recognize what respectability does to us. We recognize what this focus on the aesthetic does to us and how it impacts us and, and particularly how it impacts, you know, Black people. Yes. I feel like... And, and and I'm talking about 
black men specifically okay. in this context okay. are are having more there, there are more conversations about mental health right there there that that used to be more taboo than it is now but i, I think it is still somewhat taboo but there is more conversation yes. that's happening out loud but I, I feel like the one thing that we still don't talk about is our relationship with our bodies oh our physical bodies and this could be body dysmorphia, body shame, how our bodies are hypersexualized. And I'm, I'm curious, like, if you've noticed that, why do you think that that our bodies are like the third rail? I have noticed it, and I think one of the underdiscussed aspects of patriarchy is what it does to men, um, because you know patriarchy is a system created by men to benefit men. So we don't think about the ways in which it, it is actually detrimental to men. And one of the ways in which it's detrimental to men is that it cuts us off from ourselves such that when we are talking about or thinking about our bodies, we, we almost treat our bodies as though they are machines. We have to have a certain musculature. We have to have a certain penis size. And then we don't think of ourselves beyond that. We don't really think about our health, the things that we're putting into our bodies. We don't think about that because patriarchy says men are tough. So nothing can hurt you or nothing is supposed to hurt you. And if it does, then you're weak and you cannot be weak. That's horrible. That's the worst thing you can be in a patriarchal society as a man is weak. So we don't afford ourselves weaknesses, even when we can feel it, our hearts, our, our minds, um, our, our constitutions. We do not afford ourselves the right to be ill, which is, you know, ties into like this thing with disability. We don't even, even when we are disabled, we don't think of ourselves as disabled because we think disabled is weak. And so, well, I remember seeing this meme of this black man who was using a crutch on his, he had one leg and he was using the crutch as the other leg to continue shoveling in this mine. And people were like, see, you have no excuse. Look what this man is doing. He, he wasn't even allowed the permission to be disabled. He had to still show, look, I'm still working. I'm still a laborer. I'm still a soldier. I'm still a protector. I'm still an earner. I'm still a provider, even though this thing has happened to my body, which is to say, I'm not weak. Even when the body is saying, I need a moment of weakness. So I see this all the time. Um, and I think this is the way a patriarchal society defines manhood. You can't ever be weak. And that in itself causes so many problems for us. Yeah, you can't be weak. You can't be small. Also, you too. can't like, be small. small. You know, smallness is also still like if you're a ma male and you're small, then that's also like a, I don't know that 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 that's also a, a no no, <laughs> right? Even even if you have literally nothing to do with that, that's just you know you're just maybe not tall, or you just maybe have small features, or maybe you're small down there, and but again, that has that's out of your control, but you are made to feel like you're less than if you are small or if you're weak. And you're not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to say, 
I'm a smaller man. And as a result of that, people treat me as though I'm less than, whether that is in the dating pool or if that's when I'm with other men, whatever it is, I'm made to feel tiny in a, in a spiritual sense, in a, in a psychological and emotional sense. I'm, meant, I'm made to feel tiny. And you can't, you can't say it because people will make fun of you or they'll gaslight you and say, you, you got a Napoleon complex. Yeah, I, I feel like I, we have, have to you know, declare that as far as like the, the, the pressure to, to fit a certain aesthetic, we all have it bad. Women probably have it worse, mm. definitely have it worse, mm. right? You know, when you spoke of the gaslighting, that I see that happening online too, where people who, it's surprising, like people who are otherwise progressive, who who are sensitive to the body, body trauma, body horror, body dysmorphia, you know, and, and all these things that humans experience have a blind spot when it comes to men um, in terms of men's, you know, and, and saying certain things about uh, a man's weakness, physical weakness or a man's physical stature that, again, it's just like, yeah, this this doesn't fit with the rest of your politics. But there is this blind spot. And I think that's partially due to, again, this patriarchal idea that that one, that men, you know, are supposed to shrug everything off. Right. Right. And that a man's only value, that that a man's you know main value is through his size, yes. through his body, through his ability to protect or to dominate. And if he's not able to do either of those things, then he is valueless. Yes, that is that is absolutely right. I'm thinking about, for example, there was a conversation on your your Facebook page where you brought up the Jesse Williams photo leaks and video leaks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you were having a conversation with the person on your thread and that person said, well, I don't, this, this is a gray area because he did decide to get up on a stage and be naked. And what I was thinking was, yes, he consented to getting up on that stage and being naked. He did not consent to people taking photos or videos of him and sharing them. That, you know, you know, so I found it really problematic because I know that if if that was Vanessa Williams instead of Jesse Williams, the, the the response there would be no gray area. It would be clearly labeled as rape culture. When you do not receive consent and for taking nude photos of somebody and you share them or you um, consume them, those are the building blocks of rape culture. Whether that person is a man or a woman or non-binary or whatever. When you talk about this gaslighting, this sort of, it's different when it's a man. It seems as though in ways that I, I want to be careful here because I don't want to make it sound like only Black men face this because Black women, black women face this too. But there's a certain idea that the Black male body is accessible always. That the reason why the, the penile size of Black men is worshipped is because we're supposed to be showing it. We're supposed to be proud of it. So if we're showing it and proud of it, then it, then it should be accessible to everyone. And there's, there's no way in which, there's no place in which a Black man can ever be um, the victim of rape culture because the body is, his body is accessible and strong and available all the time. Yeah, there's a there's a phrasing that people have, you know, when a thing like this happens, it's like, oh, he has nothing to be ashamed of. Right. And it's like, well, th- is that does that matter? 
does does I mean, does that matter? But the blind spot happens when it happens to be a man <laughs> who who is considered attractive. Yes, <laughs> and, and when it, and particularly a black man who's considered attractive when 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 his photos are leaked or his nude images that were taken in private all exist on the internet, then it becomes a free for all where all of the conversation, all the sensitivity just disappears. It reminds me of the auction block um, that our ancestors had to stand upon and be sold, where the, um, the auctioneer would um, inspect his body, lift his mouth open to look inside his mouth and lift his lips, spread his butt cheeks, grab his balls. Like, that's kind of what that reminds me of. It, it, it makes me think about how um, the physical specimen of a Black man is so attractive that um, it, can, it can never be offensive to admire it, whether you want the admiration or not. This is a dynamic that is largely out of our control because this is a socialized thing that, is, that has been passed on for, for centuries, right? But, but I also think that we do ourselves no favors by embracing it. None. By embracing the quote-unquote positive stereotype. And I'm, I'm, I'm having this conversation with you because I've been thinking about this and I'm also still having to work to unpack this and, and myself because, you know, I, despite all of my learning, despite all of my, my reading, despite all that I know, there's still a part of me that still wants to embrace that positive stereotype too, wants to be considered that way too. I love that you admit that and, and share that level of vulnerability because there is one thing that I still find myself comparing myself to other men. I feel like I'm not tall enough. I think I'm somewhere between 5'7 and 5'9. And that to me feels sh too short. And I, I'm trying to figure out why I feel short. And I think it's because I feel like if I was taller, then um, people would be less likely to be violent toward me, would respect me more because of the height, um, would find me more attractive, um, and all. The, and I'm married, you know. So, like, why am I even worried about these things? But there's something in the um, indoctrination of being in a patriarchal society that, like you said, even though you're conscious of all of these things, it's still somewhere in there. And so I sometimes catch myself. I'll be on a train and be like, "Am I taller than him? Am I taller than him? You know, am I the shortest dude on this train?" Um, and then I'll catch myself and be like, why does that matter? Who cares? You know, so. I feel like it even connects to why I, I'm wearing Invisalign right now. Mm. Like I'm having like cosmetic teeth work done literally right now. This is not something I necessarily needed. Like my teeth were fine. They weren't perfectly straight or anything like that, but they weren't unhealthy. They, you know, they weren't miscolored. They, none of that. Right. But I made this decision. I got Invisalign last year because I I felt I, I'd always felt like a self consciousness, um, and it's like okay, well, why, 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 why you're a grown ass fucking man? I know. With a family, so why do you still feel this? That that's the that's the million dollar question. Like I have, I'm a bit subconscious about my teeth too because I have a, a gap, mm -hmm. and like I always feel like that gap should be closed. So I always wanted braces when I was a kid, but we couldn't afford braces. Um, so I just, 
I resigned myself to live with this gap. But if I had my way, if I had the courage, I guess, I would fix it. And I don't know why, because there's really nothing wrong with my teeth the way that they are. But, but then when I think about it, it's because I, I internalized anything negative someone said about my appearance when I was growing up. So I used to get teased because of the broadness of my nose, because of the fullness of my lips. Um, so you'll see pictures of me as a preteen and teenager with my, with my lips tucked in because I was so ashamed of um, the way I was teased. I used to even hate my complexion because people kept telling me I was too dark. I, I, don't, I don't even understand what that means today, but <laughs> like, um, you know, I, so much emphasis, and we don't really talk about this, is put on how boys and men look. So little is being talked about in regard to what it's doing to boys and men. Um, I've seen like these people work out to the point where their bodies don't even look human anymore. Like it's just like mm -hmm. a mass of muscle. Um, <laughs> and or these men who are like having these um, surgical procedures to look a particular way. Um, and we don't we don't attribute that to you know, we don't really call that body dysmorphia in the way that we would call it if it was somebody other than a man. Um, and it's almost like we expect the man to do these things in order to fit this patriarchal paradigm. So what do we do, Damon? How do we first get brothers to acknowledge um, whatever insecurities and, and, and talk to each other. Like, can we, like, how do we make space for each other to talk about these things and without judgment? I mean, I, I think we gotta, we have to start. We gotta just do it ourselves, you know, and we gotta, we gotta amplify the, the, the niggas who are doing it already. I mean, Kese, you Kese. know, obviously with heavy, heavy, you know, is, is the standard yes. for, for, for talking about, for, 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 digging as deep as you can go about about your body and feelings about your body and body dysmorphia, body shame, body horror, horror body trauma. Um, but there, there has to be more of us doing it. There has to be more of us um, who are brave enough to to just actually say, yeah, I don't I don't like how this feels or I don't I don't like this part about me. And, and that's and that's OK to admit that yeah. it's OK to actually say, hey, you know, I don't, I wish I were taller. I wish I were better looking. I wish, I wish my dick was bigger. I, I like, I, I feel like those things are okay to admit if you are feeling those things. Wasn't there a rap song? I wish I was a little bit taller. You remember that? <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> he was articulating I'll some things. He was, man. I wish I were a baller. <laughs> I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would call her. <laughs> so the homie Kesley Layman has this writing prompt where he asks the students to apologize for one of their body parts. And I definitely need to apologize to my head. I mean, to say I have an egg head would be misleading. I have the egg head. My head is a template, a mold for other eggheads, the one true egghead. I was teased a lot about this as a kid, and, and that made me deeply self-conscious about it for a long time. 
But then one day when I was like 22, I just stopped giving a fuck and I stopped being self-conscious. I'm glad it happened too, because I'm a big fan of my brain and my head is the vessel for it. I mean, shit, if I had a smaller brain and a smaller head, I wouldn't even be doing this podcast. I'd be Jason Whitlock. (laughs) Anyway, I just want to apologize to my head for some of the ridiculous hats I put on it when I was ashamed of it. The army fatigue hats, the fisherman bucket caps, those tiny hats from the gap that made me look like a hot air balloon, and especially those awkward headband things that made my head look like a dick with a condom on it. When I was 10, I remember watching Barbed Wire with Pamela Anderson. I went to bed and prayed, like did a lap around the rosary type of prayer that I would get big boobs like hers. And if God has ever heard any of my prayers, it was that one. But growing into a more mature body at a young age is traumatic because people think they have agency to comment on your body or to touch you. So I spent several years feeling shame for something I couldn't control and wishing I could undo my prayer. I've accepted my body and I love it now. The only prayers I pretty much have for my boobs are just for them to be healthy, happy, and perky. I do. I hope my boobs stay up forever. Under my chin for life. I'll I'll get them fixed if they don't. I would like to apologize to the skin between my eyebrows. I'm so sorry, skin. I am so sorry for all the years of waxing, followed by the seasons of pluckings. Skin, I am so sorry for the years of threading, for the times when you rebelled by breaking out in acne. Skin, skin between my eyebrows, I am so sorry. Sorry that I've scarcely been gentle with you, even when you scar over. Skin, I'm so sorry for covering you up in fancy beauty instead of letting you just heal. Skin, I'm so sorry for not drinking enough water because skin between my eyebrows, you look thirsty and I'm so sorry. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist-recommended facial moisturizer brand.
it's like all of a sudden I went from being a seventh grader who just felt like comfortable or whatever, at least as comfortable as a seventh grader could feel in their skin. And then all of a sudden I felt like an alien had just jumped in my body. Like I just didn't know what was going on. So that's the homie Jay Ellis, who who most of you know as Lawrence from Insecure. And, and I wanted to talk to him about whether there are different aesthetic expectations for black male actors than non-black actors. Hey, so have you ever had like an awkward stage uh, where maybe you felt uncomfortable with your body, where maybe you felt, you know, I don't know, like you needed to get comfortable in your own skin um, as, 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 as a youngster or even as an adult? Hell yeah. I remember when I was in, <laughs> hell yeah, when I was in, I grew like six inches in eighth, the summer of eighth grade, like literally from May oh, wow. to, to, to the start of the school year, from May to September, I grew like six inches. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was in this long, gangly, skinny body. Like I, my feet were huge. I felt like Bambi. Like I was just on ice all day long, every day <laughs> in eighth grade, in the worst possible uh-huh. time to not, you know, be in your body uh, because every kid in middle school is going to call it out when they see how awkward you are. Everyone has jokes, yeah. <laughs> Everybody got jokes. But okay. yeah, man, I feel like, but you know what? what's really, really interesting? And I will say, I, I played basketball at the same time. But one of the things that I remember like immediately just trying to do was I was like, oh, I'm going to put on muscle so nobody can make fun of me. Like immediately I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be the like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be the six, three, like, like strong dude in my class. And I, you know, I couldn't put on <laughs> muscle for nothing uh, I could, at all. Mm-hmm. couldn't put on muscle for nothing. So you were tall early. You didn't have, you didn't keep, you didn't necessarily continue to have growth spurts after like eighth, ninth grade. You were that height and then you just filled out. Yeah, I did. Basically. I had this crazy, crazy growth spurt. And then after that, I was just six, three and some change, you know, and, and maybe got like another half an inch, a quarter an inch or something like that along the way. But like, I mean, since for sure, since eighth grade and, uh, you know, didn't understand how to use it. it in basketball. I didn't all of a sudden I was a big man and I didn't know what that meant. I was a big man, but I was crazy skinny. So like, there, you know, I, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't post nobody up. I was getting posted up nonstop. I couldn't get in front of nobody. It was crazy. Cause it was like all of a sudden it felt like I not, you know, and I was young. So it's not like I knew my body and my knees was aching all the time. Uh, that was a very weird feeling. I guess a lot of people notice, um, throughout the, 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 the recurring seasons of, of Insecure, how the male character's shirts got progressively tighter. Um, <laughs> it's like, if you look at season one, and then you look at, like, season four or five, so, oh, these niggas been in the gym. <laughs> right. But some of that has to do with, you know, Insecure only shoots three months out of the year. So that's nine months for mm. folks to go do other jobs. And some of that comes out of those other jobs. Like, you know, Neil is on SEAL team. That's his regular... Who mm-hmm. Neil who plays Chad, who plays Lawrence's best friend. Like, yeah. he's on SEAL team. You know, so, yeah, he went and got in the gym for SEAL team to look like he was actually a Navy <laughs> SEAL. You know what I'm saying? He couldn't walk around bird chesty, you know? Uh, but then... You know, yeah, I, I, you, you, you know, you, you start to. I, I went into Top Gun at a certain point, so that was a big pivot for me. I mm-hmm. think physically, uh, just the training that went into that. But you know, for some of the other guys, yeah, you're right. Like, 
shirts did get tighter. Do you know? We went to the gym a little bit more. You know, uh, when you know you're gonna be naked, you know you're gonna be shirtless. You you, you know you you do. Uh, I, I I think you pay attention to it a little bit more. I don't think they obsess over it, but I do think it becomes something that's like, oh, am I gonna do this or am I not gonna do this? And and if I am doing it, does it does it lead to like a bigger thing in my career or is it just for this one mm-hmm. thing and for this one character? And does it motivate this character in any way? Like, why would I do it for this character? Yeah. Um, what you said about the the new scene, it reminds me of um, that William H. Macy had a quote. Uh, he was in his movie, The Closer, and he had a naked, he had a, a sex scene in that movie. And he's told himself, like, I'm going to stay in shape, you know, for my entire career, just for if I happen to get this one opportunity to do like a sex scene in a movie that I look that I look right while on camera. But that um, that point you made about the actors on the show um, actually kind of extrapolates out to a larger point. And if you look at like the black actors who are who are working today, who are popular, who are, you know, in stuff today, unless you're on Atlanta or unless you're British, I I feel like there is like this expectation um, to be built basically like you could go into an Avengers movie. Right. Because if if you just look at all the all the American black actors around around your age, you know, a little bit younger who are working today, you know what I mean? Michael B., you i mean you just you just go down the line and everybody is like like <laughs> it's just one gym we all go to the same gym y'all don't even know it but we all go to the same gym it'd be it's like 30 of us in the gym Work. every day <laughs> and and i'm i'm wondering you know because these expectations of aesthetic have have you know obviously been something that 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 women have had to have had to maintain right and i i think that you know male actors have had to maintain it too but I, there is more variance with with like white actors where you have different body types. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. With white actors, like you have like a Jonah Hill, you have a Timothy Chalamet. Whereas I, I feel like with with us, there is more of like a like a certain like aesthetic that that a lot of the working actors today seem to fit. And I'm wondering if you had if you've noticed that. Um, or, and if you have noticed that, if you felt any sort of pressure in that regard, you know what I mean? Because again, this is something that I've talked about. Other people have talked about, you know, just seeing like this shift within like the last like 15, 20 years. There are more variances and options and existences for white male actors on screen than there are for black Mm. actors, right? And I think that is a Mm. big difference. So you're showing different slices of life on one side, but on the other side, you're you're showing like the five or six same different slices of life over and over and over again, Mm -hmm. which doesn't allow for actors to be able to take those Christian Bale-like swings from, you know, the machinist where he weighs like 140 pounds to Batman where he's, or, or American Psycho, where he's like Jack. So like, we don't get that same range of, 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 uh, of, of roles. So, you know, I think we are also partially training to what's available to us. But my last thing, I think that generation, my generation of actors and this, this younger group of actors, you know, what we grew up with was, you know, Will Smith in Independence Day, Will Smith in I, Robot, Will Smith in I Am Legend. Uh, we grew up with, uh, you know, Denzel in Hurricane. We grew up with 
uh, Denzel and Man on Fire. I think what tends to happen, and I think what's interesting too, because a lot of those actors that you're talking about, like we all aspire or or at least have participated in action films and have wanted to be a part of action mm-hmm. films. And I think that aesthetic mm-hmm. that you're talking about to me feels more like it's like people training themselves and putting their bodies in a space that fits into that genre of filmmaking, as opposed to mm-hmm. the pressure of having to look a certain way. Right. I, I don't think, at least not for me anyway, I, but I, and, and I, I don't want to speak for my brothers, but I do think that like, it's more out of a appreciation and it's like wanting to be a part of and be in this genre of film. Because I do think you see actors completely swing the other way when, you know, they do something different. I, I'll just use my own example. You know, on the game, I was a football player. I wanted my body to look like a football player. I didn't want someone to look on the screen and be like, yo, he ain't no football player. Look at this dude. He's like 162 <laughs> pounds. He's 6'5", 162. Like, he all bones, right? But then when I got on Insecure, Issa and Prentice, they were all like, yo, you're too big. Like, you got to stop working out. And it was true because I literally had mm-hmm. just finished the game and I was 215 pounds, right? So I didn't literally start trying to lose weight until about m- the middle of season one. And my purpose in that, so I actually gained a ton of weight grew my hair out, didn't shave, like didn't, right? But my purpose for that was like, I wanted to show that like this dude for Lawrence, his, the way that he felt like he was going to get his life back on track, part of that felt like, oh, well, I got to go to the gym because I can, that is one thing that I can control every single day. And so Mm -hmm. that was something that like, I Mm -hmm. wanted to like put on the, that I thought the character would do. And I thought it could inform, you know, his, his trajectory and his growth in, in season one. I think on the other side, you know, again, as an actor and, and again, thinking about like, you know, that, that crop of actors that you just talked about, it doesn't, a lot of them are former athletes, a lot. Like I can literally run down a list of dudes who played basketball or football all the way through high school or college. So I think you already have some of that built in. Um, and then I think it is, again, like the aspiration to be in a certain type of project often leads you that way. Yeah. And, and the point about, you know, I guess staying ready to be ready, you know what I mean? Um, getting your body in shape so that you could be, you know, be a part of a certain project. And, and I guess that even speaks to, you know, we could, a larger conversation about the sorts of roles that are available for, for black male actors, right. you know, even, even, you know, watching Love Life, uh, season two of Love Life, and you had William Harper Jackson in that show. And it was, that was a recurring joke in that show, it's like, yo, dude, you're like a book editor, <laughs> but you're built like a CrossFit instructor. I think, I think one of the women he hooked up with even made that joke, right? And and again, it's a, it's a thing that you see, even the even though people who are supposed to be quote unquote nerdy or right. more bookish, also have that same aesthetic. Right. Again, I think if you ask a lot of that generation, you know, they're going to say they want to they want a career like Will, they want a career like Denzel. I mean, but you got Sammy Well. I don't know, Sam. I don't know. Sam looked like he got a natural, just kind of in shape body. Like I don't. I'm trying to. You're right. Like I don't think Sam. He Sam looked like he hit a treadmill and just get a good walk in. I mean, he he might do some. He might do some heavy walking. Yeah. Like maybe get his ten thousand steps yeah. in, but he's not doing like the CrossFit. Yeah, he's not. He might be hooping. He might. He hoop might, and he might swim, yeah, he but he's hoop. not. He's not going to the weight room. But I just think that you know when you look at like 
what we got to watch on screen and what we got to see on screen when we were younger, it was a lot of that, right? So I think in a lot of ways, if a lot of us would say that we want careers similar to, right? And I think that's changed, obviously, as we've gone through this renaissance of film and television, and there's, there's, there is a lot more out there than what there was. But I do think that you still have that aspiration to be in those types of films, and, and that aesthetic looks a certain way, right? From the superhero stuff to the action film stuff to, you know, the the romantic interest, you know, the typical, you know, rom-com. It, it tends to be an aesthetic that I think was already in place. And a lot of us just realize like, oh, OK, this is what is in place and what you're looking for. I want those types of jobs. So and some people just do it because they want to do it. And, you know, there's that part, too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm 43 years old. I'm still in the gym. <laughs> right? I'm still in the gym. I'm still doing all this stuff too. So, so you know, me asking these questions is also coming from a place of okay, like I, like why, why am I like? Because it, it's not just about being in shape. Right. It's not just about feeling good. There's also like a, like I want, I want my clothes to fit a certain way. You're also a former athlete. I'm also so I, I have that. You know, because you're like when you're when you're an athlete. Yeah, when you're an athlete, you're like, yo, I'm not gonna let it go. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be the athlete who stopped and just ballooned. Like, you're like, nah, I'm still gonna keep. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm still gonna keep some of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you stop, you will balloon, balloon. because the the eating, like, if, unless you make a drastic change, like the eating habits, like, because I I still kind of eat the same way I did when I was 18, 19 years old, and so I don't want to stop. Right. <laughs> so I need to I need to stay in the gym. I need to stay hooping because, again, I don't want to have to buy a whole new wardrobe. Right. 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 Um, I, I, I like I like the clothes that I have. Yeah. And I do say the last thing I will say is I do think there's also been this like just um, lifestyle and what leads to a better lifestyle, especially as you age, like what is better for joints? What is better for muscles? What is better for heart health? What is better? And I do think that like some of that problem, I think the advances in science and in workouts, I think to some degree play in that as well. It's like, people are like, yo, I still want to be mobile when I'm in my seventies. Like I still want to be able to, you know, I mean, you know, Denzel is a perfect example. Them equalizer movies, that dude is you know what I'm saying? He's moving in them equalizing yeah. movies. And, and yeah. I think people are like, yo, I still, I want to be able to do that when I'm at that, at that age. And I think that means you have to, you know, you got to start a little bit younger and nurture that and maintain that. I mean, Denzel, Denzel be power walking in those movies. Like he doesn't run, but he'd be walking real heavy. <laughs> and he, he does, he does a lot like here in, in like the wrist and the elbows. He's doing a lot of wrist <laughs> elbow work, but he's not, he's not, he's not running. He ain't running after nobody. Oh, That's probably his contract. Like I, I will not run. I do not run. But you're gonna get this wrist and elbow work. <laughs> you may now. I'm gonna go get in the gym. I'm literally um, going to work out right now. <laughs> I mean, me, me, me too. He literally sending me, me to too. the gym right me too. now. This, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do some push-ups as <laughs> soon as we're done with this. So it's been a year now since I first got Invisalign, and and the gap that existed between my two front teeth has closed considerably. And I've noticed myself acting different, too. The days where I try to hide my teeth in pictures and even throwing conversations have been long, long gone. But there was still some anxiety when first opening my mouth around new people or if an unflattering picture was posted somewhere online. So that anxiety is gone now with my new teeth. But of course, it was replaced with a new anxiety. Why do I care so much? What's inside of me that that made me want to get cosmetic work done on my teeth at 42? 
And, you know, sometimes I, I see adults with, with less than ideal smiles and I watch them joke and, and laugh and move through the world with no apparent self-consciousness about their teeth. And I wonder how they're able to not give a fuck. Like, what's the difference between them and me? And I don't know, maybe they care too and just learn how to fake it. Or maybe they truly, honestly, just don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I need to learn how to fake it too. Stuck with Damon Young is a Spotify original podcast from Gimlet and Crooked Media. It's hosted and written by me, Damon Young. Ruben Davis is our executive producer. Our producers are Ashley Belez, Morgan Moody, Carlton Gillespie, Priscilla Alabi, Stephen Hoffman, and Corinne Gilliard. Mixing and sound design by Jesse Nas, Charlotte Landis, and Veronica Simonetti. Theme music and score by Open Mike Eagle. From Crooked Media, our executive producers are Tanya Sominator, Sarah Geismer, and Katie Long. From Gimlet, our executive producers are Rosie Guerin, Crystal Hall Stressler, Colin Campbell, and Lydia Polgreen.